0: We can't let the children down, said Rosie of Moore Street at the end of a programme we broadcast last week at this time. Christmas is preeminently, some would say notoriously, a time when people think about children. Uh, hence the booming prosperity of the toy industry and allied trades, and also, let it be admitted, the fact that children's charities do tend to collect an extra few pounds at Christmas time. Of course, the very words children's charity may be distasteful to many of us, at least if we take charity in its common institutional sense. There should be no need for special societies and institutions, one would think. In a society where, to apply a famous noble phrase, all the children of the nation... Were cherished equally. The fact remains, however, that the need is there, as you realise more and more as you talk to some of the people involved in the work of caring for children, whether in state or municipal agencies or in voluntary organisations. The other evening I visited the headquarters of the Irish Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children and talked to members of the staff. Miss Duggan and Mr Morris. I talked also to a certain Mr X who will explain himself later but it was to the chief executive officer of the society I addressed myself first, Bran Callinan. I asked him uh, whether in fact there is a, an appreciable amount of cruelty to
1: children still in this country. Well the statistics are pretty invariable each year and the fact that we deal with something in the range of 8,000 cases a year. However, there's one pleasing aspect, if you can so call it, in that in more than half the cases, the parents of the children uh, are coming to us voluntarily and seeking the advice of the skilled men and women who work for us and putting their grave family problems before them. In other words, they are seeking to... Uh, prevent a possible disaster in the family. Then it is not cruelty
0: as we perhaps imagined it in a sort of Victorian sense of uh,
1: deliberate uh, sadism. I suppose there is some of that always. Uh, No, I think a large part of it uh, probably stems from uh, modern living and the fact that so many young married people are failing to communicate one with the other and they really are in need of a third person with whom they can discuss their fundamental problems. You spoke of your skilled workers, your skilled helpers. Um, Have you many? Uh, We have uh, 22 men and women throughout the country, Uh, and there are eight here in Dublin. And they're employed full-time? Oh, full-time, and and, uh, by full-time we mean that there's very often uh, work to be done uh, at all hours of the day and the night. Well,
0: when I say they, I shouldn't say they because we have two of them with us here, Ms. Dugan and uh, Mr. Morris. Uh, Ms. Dugan, uh, do you find you're working in Dublin alone?
2: Yes, I'm working in one area of Dublin alone. Um, it's quite a large area and one's kept very busy, as Mr. Callanan said, from morning till night. We have all kinds of problems. Um, as Mr. Callanan says, many of them come into us now for our counselling service. They come in with their family problems and we work with them to a successful resolution of them. Many, of course, of the problems that affect children are those of the parents. So much of our work is with the parents.
0: Yes, I suppose that the protection and care of children is in fact to a great extent the care of parents and helping them at least to care for themselves and for their children.
2: Yes, this is in fact what it is. It's more the counselling of parents. We get a lot of families when they come to a stage of breakdown in relationships. We work with them to re-establish their relationships so that the environment shall be more satisfactory for the children.
0: Do you find, uh, Mr Morris, that the problems cut across
3: social class or are they confined to one sort of income group? Well, more and more I find now that we, they are cutting across social class. At one time, the society was largely uh, called in on the very lower income group, but now, with the uh, the event of... Um, we have done away with our uniforms, and it helps greatly to... Uh, there's no barrier now to any social um, class, and um, we find more and more that we're dealing with all classes.
0: You know, what sort... what. What would you say would be a typical run of things in a day, Brad?
1: Well, uh, some member of the public rings up and says that they have seen a small uh, child uh, running about um, in the street, apparently untended, and they've noticed this for three or four days. In other words, the mother or the father uh, pays no attention whether the child falls under a car. It's a a matter that's quite immaterial to them. Uh, Quite often reports come in to us uh, and this is more frequently now in the, some of the, the, the um, um, better grade areas is that uh, cries of children are heard at night and that the father and mother are out uh, enjoying themselves in a pub. Uh, and This enjoyment of course is quite legitimate, but adequate provision should be made to look after the children properly. Is there much of that kind of neglect?
2: Um, usually one finds basic problems to this kind of neglect. Um, either marital problems or a problem of alcoholism or compulsive gambling or something of this sort. And this would be the basic problem that we were trying to work with with the parents to the resolution of it.
0: Is there much, is alcoholism a continuing problem?
3: It is a very, it's a very uh, serious problem. In fact, if I could uh, quote a case for you. Uh, In June of this year, in one of the larger housing estates, We were asked to call into a case by the infant aid nurse. She said she couldn't gain admission and she was concerned about the children here. They were never taken to the clinic and she was rather concerned about the situation. So we called and we found the home was very dirty. There was no light or gas. The gas had been cut off and so had the light for non-payment. The children were not attending any school. They had no clothes, the mother told me. And this was the reason also why the younger ones were not being taken to the clinic. They had no proper clothing either. The mother, I found, was apathetic and listless. She, uh, she showed no real emotion when we called. And um, her husband, she told me, had been unemployed for years and uh, he has, uh, had a drink problem. Each week she had to accompany him to the labour exchange, otherwise she would not get the £6 pounds that he normally allowed her. He would drink everything he could get his hands on. He would leave the home early in the morning and return on the last bus at night. He was always the, much, much the worst for drink. Sunday was no exception. Uh, the children had uh, the family had no medical card, a free medical card, which is available to families of this income, because the family, the father, had not completed the the very uh, elementary applications, uh, the preliminaries to to getting the form. Um, they, uh, I found, that were 90 pounds in arrears of rent at this stage, and they were facing eviction. They had already been evicted on several occasions in the past. she told me for non-payment of rent. Father was a motor mechanic, and he had the best of jobs, and lost them through drinking. He was convicted of drunken driving and had his license suspended. Uh, He had even pawned his tools, and sold the ticket, the pawn ticket. (coughs) He, uh, I asked her how he was with the children, and she said he he seldom saw the children. In fact, he didn't seem to care much about them. In fact, never discussed any of the problems. Was completely unaware of the the situation almost. And this had been the pattern for the past ten years except for short breaks when he would get work and uh, his drinking would stop. Uh, From Mother's point of view, there seemed nothing to hope for. She was really apathetic, and uh, she seemed unable to cope with the situation, and as a result, she had learned to ignore it. The house and beds were very, very dirty, and the necessities like electric light or gas or proper clothing for the children or even basic education were luxuries far beyond their... um, far beyond her reach, and she no longer even desired or wished for them. Um, three of her ten children had been committed to industrial schools in the past for non-attendance at school. Uh, during the following months, uh, we visited regularly, and uh, we brought clothing from our second-hand clothing guild and sought that the, uh, the children had the basic requirements uh, health-wise. But most of our efforts were concentrated on building hope in the mother, and by September, that's three months later, two of the daughters had started work, and the father had also started, had got a job and was trying to uh, uh, cope with his drink problem, but he, in fact he had got worse, and his contribution to the family income um, was reduced now to £4 pounds a week. Uh, mother, uh, <clears throat> but by this stage, Mother had hopes, because the girls were working, that she might avoid eviction. We had built this hope in her. And the casework relationship uh, with this family was such now that the mother actually pleaded with us, asked us to see the father. She felt we could help him. And uh, it wasn't easy because he was out early morning to late at night, Sundays too. Um, After many efforts of trying to contact him and and, uh, making appointments, which he didn't keep, I finally agreed to write to him. And, uh, well, we we did write to him, and uh, from then on things began to happen. Well,
0: now that's a case out of the files of the society and it's a case that has had at least in a qualified way something of a happy ending and the father in this case is the Mr X who is with us here now and who very generously I think and very decently has agreed to take part in this discussion because he thinks he perhaps he can help other people this way uh, You, the story that was told there is not one that I suppose is unique, but uh, during the period when things were bad,
4: uh,
0: what would you say was your biggest problem?
4: My biggest problem was drink, of course, from 10 years back. And the first time I got help of any description at all was from this man. When I heard he was from the Society, of Privileged children. I thought I was an awful cad. I was going to be in terrible trouble. Was when I met the man, I found he was such a nice person to talk to and a generous man. I opened up and I told the man the complete story of my life for the past 10 years. That's true in every word as it's written down there. But I have got a job now, I've taken hospital treatment. And I would advise any man that's thinking and has a problem like me to seek the help before it he gets too late, before his home goes the same as mine went. But well, do you think to yourself that the problem is very often that people have
0: nobody to go to for help?
4: People are afraid to go. I was afraid to go. I was afraid to meet this man from the society for fear of being put away. But when I did meet him, as I said before, I found the man was entirely different picture to what I heard and read and listened to other people talking
0: well you know I think that this is in all sorts of ways whether the problem is alcoholism or financial worry or whatever it is I think that very often the problem is that people don't know where to turn do you think that this is a basic question
1: uh, I think it is and I think possibly the, the existing name of our society is a deterrent to people who would wish to come to us Um, So often people jocosely refer to the cruelty man or the cruelty woman. Uh, I would prefer that they would speak of social workers, or if they're going to talk in terms of men or women, uh, I think if they were to say the prevention man or the prevention woman, uh, I think if you were to say protection, of course, they might think of gangsters, but the prevention man or the prevention woman is the ideal title because it is their life work. They're uh, seeking to cement the natural family ties and to reestablish them when they are so badly broken. Do you think that the question is very often one of prevention rather than cure?
2: Yes. This, I feel, is our main focus in our work, that we're aiming at prevention. However, one of our problems is that when a case is referred to us, it is at the latter stages of breakdown. It's when the crisis has occurred. And this, of course, takes an awful lot more work to try and resolve anything at this area. I think if cases were referred to us much earlier, the prog- progress would be greater, would be better.
0: Now, of course, I suppose that's true of all problems, and yes. whether they're problems of sickness or health or money or whatever it is it's the, it's the question of getting it in time
2: yes uh, but I think in our title this is one word that everybody leaves out the element of prevention
0: you know there is another point here that strikes me though as you were talking about reporting and cases being brought to your attention uh, I suppose there is ingrained in all of us this feeling that you know it's not for me to report a case. It's not, you know, the, the, the horrible feeling that one is a snooper in some way.
3: Yeah, undoubtedly this is, this is a factor, but uh, uh, more and more I think the public are realising that it, it is not so. I mean, we, as Mr. Cannon mentioned earlier, uh, the people themselves are reporting it. Uh, I'd say at least 75% of the cases come to us through one or other of the parents reporting it. The husband is um, an alcoholic, or he's a gambler, or he is... Uh, something else, or the wife is, is, is not uh, properly looking after the children, probably through a damaged personality in their younger days or through mental ill health. And uh, often, too, we find a problem that goes from generation to generation. If it happened in one generation, it happen in the other generation. And uh, if we could prevent this, if we could once uh, eliminate this factor, it would be, uh, it would be tremendous. And uh, I think we have particularly... Irish features in, 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 ours, in uh, Irish problems in Ireland that we don't have in other countries, like, uh, uh, for instance, wife beating is quite a factor, and uh, this goes on from generation to generation, and uh, the children see it and they're disturbed, and uh, they do the same when they grow up. If we could want to eliminate this problem, this particularly Irish problem, I think we would be um, well, we would be very pleased anyway.
0: And also perhaps the fact that I think it's important that people realise that in spite of what the Victorians used to say, that, you know, they used to talk about the, they used to think always in terms of classes, I mean, the criminal classes, you know, as if it was confined to one group of society. Perhaps if people realize that these problems, Brian, are, you know, that they run through, as we said, the whole spectrum of, of social life.
1: Yes, I, I think so, and uh, I think they, they will count have a much better appreciation of the society. Uh, through the new program of civics uh, in the schools. Uh, Mr. Morris has referred to the natural reluctance of people, and of Irish people in particular, uh, to report a case in case they are branded as informers, which was a word of such ill repute in our history. But I think if young children from an early age learn of the various voluntary societies and the excellent work they do. Um, At a higher age level, we are now accepting students for placement uh, in the society, university students and uh, students who are with the Institute for Public Administration, uh, so that they may learn at first hand of the constructive work.
0: Yes, know. and in fact, of course, that the man, the student of today, could be either the helper of tomorrow, or he could be the man who needs care and needs help tomorrow. Yes. And I think that when we've talked about alcoholism, and we've talked about gambling, we've talked about impairments of psychological personality in the case of, of the mother, maybe, Basically I suppose poverty, just the mere fact of poverty is in itself something which until we've eliminated it there will be always a great deal of of suffering due
1: to this. That that is true and of course we we hope to provide an even greater service and to have more men and women uh, about the country but this takes a considerable amount of money even though we now do receive uh, a government grant which is to be increased in the coming year. Charity begins at home, but it
0: mustn't be allowed to stay there. There are children in need, children with a claim on us all, all over the world. We are, I think, particularly conscious of this just now in relation to the horrible war in West Africa, and it's good to see young people here responding generously and imaginatively to this crisis. It was in response to a similar crisis, a similar need, as Eric Webb reminds me, that UNICEF was originally set up.
5: Yes. In 1947, a re- emergency relief fund was brought into being to assist children in Europe and the Far East. This operated until 1953, when, with the entry of more countries into the UN, it was broadened, and the aid was to be given to any country in the world that requested UNICEF's aid. We retain the symbol of UNICEF today, but the fund is known as the United Nations Children's Fund for all the children of the world. It is operating in over 120 countries at the moment, but the need is greater and greater each day. At the moment, there are 800 million children in dire need of UNICEF's help. By the end of this century, nearly two and a half billion children will have been born into those very lands which now fight for life. This is a problem that we are faced with, and if I might just define that, with leprosy alone we have 10 million afflicted children, only one in five is treated with malaria, over 100 million victims, until recently 2.5 million died from it each year. With tuberculosis, 15 million infected, in India alone. Tuberculosis kills one every minute, or perhaps T, which is a dreaded letter, really. It stands for trachoma. We find this in Turkey, countries in around the Mediterranean, and there's a half a billion children, people suffering from that disease and yet for the price of a box of matches, tuppence, truffence, UNICEF can give that shot of penicillin or that little speck of ointment which can cure cure this dreaded disease, trachoma. We also have uh, yaws which is found in Asian countries. It's a mass of sores and uh, we've seen in many films, particularly one with Danny Kaye and the Simon Children where the little boy called Sam had this dreaded disease of yours and uh, UNICEF field workers doctors got to him and inserted a shot of penicillin and 14 days time those ugly sores had healed over and little Sam was cured and this is happening thank goodness every day throughout the world.
0: Yes of course when we talk in terms of half a million, a million, billions even, the thing is almost unreal because we can't take in these figures. We can take in the one little boy somewhere, and at the risk of being sentimental, this is perhaps the way that it comes home to us. I I remember Danny Kaye talked about another case, didn't he, when he was over here. Do you remember that?
5: Uh. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, We we had uh, the pleasure of his company here a couple of weeks ago, and... um the members of the audience asked him what was the most striking experience he'd had in his world tour for UNICEF, and uh, he recalled this famous film, Assignment Children, where the little boy called big, long, complicated name, but he called him Sam for short, and uh, they were having a reunion in Japan, and Danny Kay thought it would be a very good idea if they could find Sam. Now, they had to go through millions of children in Thailand, but they were very fortunate with the cooperation of the... Thailand government, they found this boy who was about 22 years of age. Now, he couldn't speak any language other than Thai and um, I don't think he knew what happened to him, but he was put on a plane and brought to Tokyo and uh, he looked, Danny Kaye looked at him and he said, mm, this is Sam. He could remember it all right. But however, because a very long story short, they showed the film of Assignment Children and Sam Recognised, it came back to him, why he had been uh, brought to Tokyo. Uh, that night, uh, Danny Kaye had, of course, Sam with him all the time and they were at a private function somewhere and, of course, as I said, he didn't understand any English other than Thai and uh, they were talking away about this wonderful achievement of Sam and uh, Danny Kaye happened to look around and... Sam knew that we're talking about him and Sam just put his hand on Danny Kaye's arm and pressed it. And uh, according to Danny, this was the greatest thrill that he's got out of his hundreds of thousands of miles for Eunice. It was the the gesture of that little hand going on his arm or, as we know from that film, it's thank you. And uh, he thinks this really was, in his lifetime, the most wonderful gesture by a child. Mind you, of course, there is
0: always the problem that when the haves may do some tiny little thing for the have-nots, that one feels that perhaps we're... this is a sort of patronising of children and so forth. Uh, you know, I suppose a great deal of UNICEF's work has to be simply going in and bringing relief where there is, as in the case of hunger, where there is an enormous problem still, uh, actually feeding children. and all the starving faces, all the actual staring need of hunger is there. But I think that UNICEF, for instance, thinks of its work in a more long-term way than that, doesn't it?
5: Yes. uh, I I think the the whole basis of UNICEF's work is, is education, and we feel that if we can get through to the children, the children of Ireland, the children of Europe, the children of the developed countries... And if we can uh, get this awareness of the need the need for a better world where children can grow up healthy. I think from uh, going back to the United Nations in its uh, earlier days a Chinese delegate rose and said that the greatest asset to any nation was not gold or nuclear warfare but the greatest asset was youth, children because upon your youth you built. And it's a belief that by getting through, through the children of today that maybe we will build a, a better understanding for children of the world to grow up healthy and happy and
0: maybe have a little bit more understanding one to another. And, and you this, think that this works out two ways, do you? I mean, uh, the benefit of this is not just for those who are immediately benefited now, that the so-called benefiting ones are themselves benefiting the people who are perhaps trying to help them. Well, yes, I'm glad you mentioned that because
5: uh, we're back to your first question. Uh, uh, In 1947, uh, you had countries like Italy, Germany, all these war-aggressed countries in Europe. And thank goodness today the people of these countries are aware of the need, and there is a tremendous... we, We mustn't be complacent about this, but there is a great show of enthusiasm with people who did get the aid, and they're passing it on to their children, and in, in these countries in Europe today, they are, I think, making a tremendous effort to try and step up the educational campaign, which inevitably raises money, and after all, we have to go down to hard facts, money, purchase pharmaceuticals and drugs and medicine that's required, and certainly from a European point of view, there is a, a tremendous increase in the interest and enthusiasm uh, for children in other continents
0: that are in dire need, I think Ireland has done something. Yes.
5: Well, yes, I, I, I think we can be. Uh, I think the word "smug" is wrong because one can never be smug if one is helping. But uh, I think the scenes of eighteen hundred and forties in this country, where people literally died on the roadsides, and uh, probably it's hereditary in people, but we have this tremendous gift of understanding and charity and uh, we're very pleased to state that in the recent uh, help to Nigeria and Biafra that the contributions per head in Ireland were one of the finest.
0: And do you think that kids in Ireland are becoming aware that they're not just children of Ireland but children maybe of the human race? Oh yes, we're getting tremendous
5: cooperation and help from our teaching authorities here and uh, our Penny Appeal campaign which is now going into its sixth year Uh, again this is on a basis of education, we're bringing in the films, teach the children and then the children take up the seal of enthusiasm and collect or ask for the one penny once a year and uh, I think in this way we're going to build uh, another generation of people who are aware of the, the need of UNICEF and the future leaders in this field in human nature in, in, in Ireland. Uh, they're really wonderful, the children. I think this year we got something like £7,500 and pennies, and I think this speaks for itself.
0: There is one category of children, at home and abroad, whose need of special care has been a painful problem to their parents and families. Professor Eva Philbin has a mentally handicapped child who is now 17. She and Dr Kathleen Crawley, who's the mother of an autistic child, talked to me about their distinct but related cases. Professor Philbin uh, said how immensely the climate of opinion, the social climate uh, concerning the mentally handicapped child,
6: has how immensely it has changed for the better since she first came to face it. Well, it's changed completely, and of course it's changed completely for me because uh, when we discovered that the child was mentally handicapped, she was about two years old. And at that time, there was very little being done in the country. Uh, All the organisations, there are several now. I don't know how many organisations of parents and friends of mentally handicapped people. But I remember myself going to one of the first, which was organised, I think, in 1954 in the country shop. The first one that I remember was St. Michael's Parents and Friends. And I remember attending that. There were about 60 parents. and We were all sort of amazed that there were... 59 other parents, so to speak. And uh, it kicked off from there, in my opinion. And then now, as I say, there's practically every county in Ireland or big town of associations, you know, Galway, Limerick, Tipperary, bellinus they're all over. So that no family which uh, has been afflicted in this way need feel it's alone? No, it's the real difficulty, I think, is people sometimes in the country, you know, they just don't know where to begin... But uh, now the parents, I think, could go to the teacher because the national teachers are affiliated with the local organisations and the national organisation and, of course, the doctor. But one thing that I would really like to say on any um, talk about this is that it's essential for people to find out early on how handicapped the child is and, you know, get a good assessment, a good medical assessment, and then follow the advice that they're given early on.
0: Of course the problem of the autistic child is one which uh, people realised and as it were isolated even more recently than the general new
7: approach to mental handicap for Dr Crawley. Oh yes, I mean it is very recent and actually the condition was first described only in 1943 by Caner of Johns Hopkins. Uh, the condition, there are, there are areas where the two conditions meet, for instance some mentally handicapped children don't speak. Very many autistic children uh, don't speak as well. But I think what characterizes the autistic child, apart from the mentally handicapped one, is his extreme loneliness. He is to a certain extent withdrawn to a greater or lesser extent. And to get through to him is the very, very real problem. That is, I suppose, why living with him can at times become very, very difficult. My child has always lived at home with the exception of a very brief period. He's now 12 years of age. He is at home with us constantly. We have learned to live with him. We love him a lot and that helps. And to him it is very, very helpful because what those children seem to need more than anything else is tremendous love and tremendous understanding.
0: This, of course, is true too in the general mental handicap case, but even more so, you think, in the case of autistic children.
7: Even more so in the case of autistic children, because I myself believe that what causes this is the interaction between a a genetic predisposition and a traumatic environment. The traumatic environment, I think, has an awful lot to do with the love of the child because many, many parents of autistic children can mention some incident or other in the young life of that child where he was, for a, a longer or shorter time, deprived of mother love.
0: You think this is what triggers I think, it off? I think
7: it contributes. It, as you say, I think it's what triggers it off. Supposing this traumatic experience, as I call it, did not occur in the early stages of the child's life, he may well have got through, but a similar traumatic experience at a later stage may, in that circumstance, have caused a breakdown.
0: Of course, this reacts to, I suppose, very often on parents and possibly brings up guilt feelings and yes, so Yes, well, forth.
7: I'm very glad you mentioned that because um, in all the literature about autism, one reads of the cold, detached parent. What strikes me is that the various doctors describing this condition are describing the attitude of the parents once this condition has happened to them. They are people who are frightened, They just can't possibly understand where they are. The parents of autistic children are no more cold nor withdrawn than any other parents. They love their children. And I am very delighted to hear that nowadays in the United States, where Kanner originally described this type of parent, that this whole idea is being blown wide open.
0: So, things at least are uh, a little better from the point of view of social attitude, of understanding in the home and understanding growing between families who have been who have this problem, the problem of autism or the problem of general mental handicap. Uh, do you think that one can talk really in terms of uh, curative treatment, of you know, working towards an improvement, Professor Philman? Well
6: not curative treatment, no, but you can bring out all the abilities that the child has. He can be trained. And this, again, really has to start from the word go. The, the children, the other, if there are other children in the family, they're a tremendous help. And uh, once the parent, I, I think, can I just begin that again slightly, if I may? Uh, I think the biggest difficulty in the early stages is for the parent to face the thing that the child is mentally handicapped and to find an attitude about it, a sensible attitude. Having done that, I then think you have to train your children to face it privately and publicly it's essential that they must never try to hide this or be in any way ashamed of it or when the neighbours ask them I say my brother or my sister is mentally handicapped and then I think the uh, training has to begin with ordinary children they do their blocks and their bricks and the things and one doesn't notice very much they're out of the way but with a mentally handicapped child your eye is always on him tracing his finger around the block you know you must give this extra care all the time now you mustn't persecute the child naturally to try to bring him on but you must do these small things that one wouldn't have to do with the ordinary child Uh, they're going to learn to walk you're watching them all the time they're going to fall they're often these things happen as well so that I think from the word go you must keep training your child and the other members of the family are very glad to do this once they understand the situation and they don't indeed see any great difference between this child and any other child
0: of course there was a time when people were deeply ashamed of tuberculosis or something like that it was like a, a social stigma and perhaps we've got a bit more sophisticated about that. And of course a feeling of shame about mental handicap, I suppose, is something that you find on you know on all levels of 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 sophistication. People who uh, you'd imagine would realize that this is it's just something that they have to live with may not be the best. You, Doctor uh, Crawley once made a distinction at a meeting you about you used the image of a wall, I
7: think, as between mental handicap yes, and autism. I remember at our first press conference, we had tried to explain to the members of the press, from various speeches, etc., what autism was. And we found that we weren't getting over very well. So then it just occurred to me to give this analogy. I said, if in the mentally handicapped child you want to build a wall, you will never have enough bricks, no matter how, how hard you try. In the autistic child, you have all the bricks, but they're out of alignment. And they, the direction of therapy should be to get them into alignment.
0: And it is possible to do this? It
7: has been done. Therefore, it is possible to do it. I understand at the moment, this is very, very encouraging, I understand there's a breakthrough on the continent through a new form of treatment which is called cellular therapy. It has not been generally accepted in America, Britain or Ireland so far but it's under investigation and may bring tremendous results. But now, as regards my own personal life with the child, I was probably a bit fortunate, more fortunate than others, because my child was born into what was almost an adult family. Therefore, his brothers and sisters, who were much older than him, could understand very readily what the problem was. They explained it quite freely to their friends. Their friends come to the house exactly as if nothing were wrong. They all ask for Philip, who is my handicapped child, when they come in. Where is Philip? We want to play with Philip. And this is very, very encouraging from my point of view and from my husband's point of view.
0: And Philip doesn't resent this?
7: Oh, no, no, no. Philip loves it. He loves to see people coming. But now he is very, very settled. At the beginning he was very withdrawn, very, very lonely. But one thing for which we can thank God, he was never very severely disturbed.
0: May I ask just one final question? Uh, do you think that in our society, Professor Philbin, uh we have geared ourselves yet to a point where we can assure the mentally handicapped child, according to the degree of his handicap, a future?
6: Uh, well, not yet. Well, I think we are moving in that direction. Uh, sheltered workshops have now been are being set up. The National Association will be managing one to which. Other organisations will be able to send their mentally handicapped adults, and uh, until this is underway, the mentally handicapped adult is very neglected. I mean, while I say lots of things are being done, there is still a tremendous amount to be done. Uh, one is hopeful because of all the goodwill, and uh, I must say the government are doing their part in this, but uh, there is still a, a tremendous gap in what should be done for the I think particularly the adult mentally handicapped person. And where would you think is the greatest single area of need? I would think sheltered workshops, really, in that these people have a right. They have a right to work. You know, this is where they're happiest, like everybody else, and sort of fulfil themselves in as much as they are able. And in this sheltered environment, many of them can live at home and then get to their work in the mornings. Uh, The more handicapped people would have hostels with, A father and mother figure, this has been done, mind you, in Black Rock in a small way. This has been done in small ways every place, but there's more need for it. Another thing why this is so necessary is that mentally handicapped adults are very often easily led astray. They're not as bright as the boy next door. And this is a way of avoiding these social disasters. I mean, every now and again you see a child or a young man up for some crime, which really he's not guilty of and that he's never understood what's happening. He's easily influenced. And I think all this has to be taken care of.
0: A future for the mentally handicapped child. And what about the child who, some would say, suffers from the greatest handicap of all, the child who hasn't a home of his own? Well, Father Leo McCormick provides a substitute for, at present, about 47 of them in the Dominican boys' home here in Dublin. But every day because he's already almost overcrowded, every day he has to turn away applications. And he agrees that it's a terrible thing to think that there are so very few places available for what is a continuing need.
8: Oh, yes, a very definite shortage for places for boys in Dublin, or even in the whole country, you could say, because in Dublin here, apart from ourselves, you have St Vincent's Orphanage and the O'Brien Institute. There are no others now or the older boy for younger boys you have Golden Bridge the Sisters of Mercy St. Vincent School in Golden Bridge and uh, Lakelands Convent take small boys up to a certain age but apart from that there are no places for boys at all
0: Well when do boys come to you and how do they come to you?
8: Well seven is the youngest age that I would take a boy because uh, I haven't the facilities for looking after younger boys I haven't got the staff, I have no room even to to have an indoor staff living here in the house I haven't got the space for them The only one living in is the cook. Uh, So I I couldn't possibly handle young lads unless I had some women in the house to look after them. So seven is about the youngest. I can take them. I find I can manage them at that age pretty well.
6: How do Uh, they come to you?
8: Oh, they come to me. Oh, in all ways. Sometimes it's... uh, Well, sometimes they come through social workers from Dublin Health Authority or even from down the country. Sometimes it's the um, ISPCC who asked me to take a boy. Uh, But the bulk of them come to me from other orphanages, young boys coming from Goldenbridge or Rathdrum or um, St Vincent's and Drogheda. I used to get quite a number from St Philomena's when it was there, but St Philomena's and St is closed now, unfortunately. It was a wonderful place for young boys. Uh, Sometimes then a parent might come to me direct and ask me to take a child in. Though nowadays, in recent times, I generally try to uh, get them to go to the health authority and then they investigate the circumstances to see if it's really necessary for the child to come here. Cause sometimes a parent might want to put a child in without there being sufficient reason for putting the child in an orphanage.
0: Of course, when you say a parent and then you talk, use the word orphanage, mm-hmm. like it reminds me that, in fact... Uh, Quite a number of the children you'd have here, and quite a number of the boys wouldn't be technically orphans
8: at oh, all. Oh, that's true. Not Technically, they're not orphans. But homeless would be a better word, in a sense, than uh, to say they're homeless, rather than that they are, are orphans. Because uh, very often, um, a mother may be dead, or a father may be dead, and the other mother or father, as the case may be, may not be able to cope for one reason or another. It may have a big family. A mother might have to go out to work and couldn't possibly cope with a large family or a, a mother is dead, a father can't look after a job and look after the children as well. Uh, then, of course, we have very common thing nowadays that children come from broken families where one or other parent has deserted and uh, the one who is left with the children can't manage them, can't possibly cope and work or earn a living for them at the same time.
0: You've Also, I suppose, you have illegitimate?
8: Oh, yes. Yes, we have children who have no parents at all and we have children whose mothers tried to rear them uh, very laudably so and who just uh, discovered what, with the circumstances they are and with the state aid that's available they just couldn't manage it so they found after maybe a time that they had to put the children into some kind of an institution but uh, by and large these mothers uh, look after the children very keep in touch with them and uh, all these boys are excellent who have mothers like that they're excellent and I mean I, I think their mothers are very much to be admired they've done a really good job for them I have several of those here.
0: What would you say is the most difficult kind of case? I mean, what
8: sort of children need the greatest care? Well, uh, two that I could mention, two types. Uh, children from broken homes, where the, uh, the child was old enough at the time the break came to be conscious of it, and probably maybe for years before the break came, was aware of the discord that was be there between mother and father. Those children are generally very disturbed. Uh, another type that I find uh, usually disturbed, and I have a few of them, are children who were fostered out unsuccessfully. And uh, at some stage, then the, I was asked to take them because the foster home wasn't working out for them, for that particular child. They, I find, are very disturbed children, after and these would be children who have no. Person belonging to them, no mother to be seen anywhere, or no mother in touch with them.
0: Now, you do find as the time goes on, however, that even the most disturbed can respond to the life of the home.
8: Yes, practically all of them, one or two exceptions. Yes, we've had failures in that sense. Some have not responded to treatment, we'd like to put it that way, and have remained very disturbed. Uh, neurotic maybe, or difficult, one or other. I have a few of those, and they can be frightfully difficult. Uh, These children, I find, uh, would need uh, almost personal attention. And uh, that, uh, by the way, I think is a terrible lack in our society at the moment, that there is no place to cater for children like this. We would need, in Dublin here particularly, we would need some kind of an institution to cater for the uh, the severely disturbed uh, child, an adolescent, where they would have uh, one person to look after, at the most about six children.
0: Now, you used the word institution a while ago, and uh, this is technically an institution. Well, well,
8: technically, yes, we have to use that term.
0: But it doesn't have the connotations that we usually associate with this word. What would you say, what is your sort of aim here? What do you try to do? and What, do you, what is the principle of, that you work on?
8: Well, as I've said so often in other places, uh, I, from the beginning almost, I tried to work on the principle of making it a home. That's why I changed the name to Dominican Boys Home. And um, I've always tried to be guided by what was done at home. That's why you have this sitting room here, for instance, uh, which is uh, where they do their homework. I did away with the study hall. I thought it was too much like a school. And I find in uh, these kind of places generally that the temptation is to run them on the style of a boarding school. And even people who come in to me from visiting here and from the questions they ask, I can see that they're thinking in terms of a boarding school. And I always have to remind them and remind myself too that it is not a boarding school, that it is a home. This is the boys' home.
0: The boys go to school, of course. Kevin, who's 15, is at the Tech
6: I do woodwork, metalwork, art, mechanical drawing, maths, English and Irish.
0: That's enough to keep you going all day. Tell us, what time do you get up here in the mornings in the home?
6: Um, We're called at 8 o'clock.
0: I didn't say what time you were called at. What time do you get up at? (laughs) Is he good at at getting up to you?
6: I'd say he is, yes. (laughs) That was
0: Sean you heard there, by the way. Sean, how old are you?
6: I'm 15. I'll be 16 in April 20th. Are you with the tech too? No, I finished taking, I did a group cert, and an apprentice plumber.
0: How do you like that? Great. Are you any good at mending the pipes here in the home? I
6: haven't started yet.
0: <laughs> how long are you here? Uh, three years. How long are you here, uh, Kevin? Three years. Three years, and Tony? I'm here five years. Tony, how old are you? i
1: uh, 16.
8: Are you at school? Yeah, I'm at secondary school, doing my inter this year. Doing into
0: this year. What and sort of a day do you spend here, I mean, when you're not at school? Like, uh, you're, you're in holidays now. What happens?
6: Um, well, um, I might go out with maybe to the pictures or out for a walk or the Stephen's Green. You know, go someplace for a walk, <coughs> keep you busy.
0: Do you play football or anything, Kevin?
6: Yes, play a little of football. We play snooker and billiards too and table tennis. We have plenty of games to keep us going. What
0: time do you go to bed at night?
6: Well, um, about ten o'clock. Half ten. All this.
0: What time are lights out at?
6: Um, Eleven o'clock.
0: And do you all go to bed at the same time? Not, I suppose, not according to age, is it? What well, time no, do you go, Kevin? Really.
6: <laughs> I go at, I'm supposed to go at ten, anyhow.
0: You're supposed to go. It's to like getting yeah. up in the morning. <laughs>
6: yeah. Maybe I'll mess around and go down to the father's room, keep talking, It'll be late then, you know? Like, on to eleven o'clock.
0: And uh, I suppose the day passes like that everywhere. Do you you go out a good deal from the house?
8: Well, it's generally the same, for me at least, uh, all the week. I go to work after school now. Say I work after school and then that's my time filled in. (laughs) On Saturday I go out to the club, you know, I go out to the club on Saturday and generally go out on Sunday as well, you know, and then it's back to work, school on Monday. Just generally the same time. Most weekends anyway would be exceptional. Coming up towards Christmas, you know, more freedom, so you kind of find it hard to decide what you're going to do. So just, except for that, it's kind of the same. Just the same as any other fellow out in the street. Well, have you a fairly free hand? Well, not really. It all depends on when Father's in the mood, I'd say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As you may gather, the boys look on Father McCormick like most normal kids look on their father. And he doesn't believe too much in rules and regulations. One thing he did mention was how, coming up to Christmas, many people offer the hospitality of their own homes to boys like his. He praises their generosity.
8: But uh, I don't agree with it. I I don't disagree with their generosity. But uh, I do disagree with the need for taking children out of these places. As I told you, I'm trying to make this their home, and the normal child doesn't leave his home above all at Christmas. So therefore, my boys stay here for Christmas at home. And... uh, I think all the institutions uh, that cater for children should try and make their place such that it will be the children's home. Uh, there again, I know all of them that I'm in contact here in Dublin, certainly the institutions run by religious, they do, they would like to do that, but in their present circumstances they haven't been able to accomplish it so far, so therefore many of them think that they're doing the child a favour by allowing it to go out to a family for Christmas. That will have more uh, homely atmosphere there than would be possible in their places as they are at present. But I would think in years to come that that will not be done, that the, uh, the children will be kept at home.
0: Not that Father McCormick doesn't see genuine relationships growing up between the boys and their friends' families. This goes on, but not as a mere Christmas gesture. I'm leaving it now to Anne Gill to add a postscript to what we've heard.
9: I often have wondered how such a lively, lovable creature as a lamb can turn into such a stolid lump as a sheep. Somehow, it seems an unnatural development. However, it's probably natural to feel more for the young of any species than for its mature members. Why is this? Are we perhaps moved by their helplessness, their innocence, their vulnerability? Of all creatures, man has the longest childhood is slowest to develop. When we compare a newborn foal or a chicken just out of an egg to a newborn child, we see the foal stand up and walk the day it's born. The chicken run and peck at a grain of corn the moment after it's hatched. The human child at birth seems inferior to the young of other species. He is incomplete, both physically and psychologically. He has before him the formidable task of self-creation, of becoming a person. As adults, we can help him do this by understanding his real needs and providing an environment where he can grow. And growth in humans is not just a physical process. People like Freuble and Maria Montessori helped us towards a discovery of the child, and some of Montessori's ideas seem especially relevant. She claimed that adults had ignored the child, as a creative social factor in the building up of our civilization, that the child had never been given his rightful place. Could this still be possible in this century, when so many organisations exist for the welfare of the child? Perhaps we should try to look at childhood in a different way. Let's look for a moment at the child's work. And by work I don't just mean school homework, but his whole activity... His explorations and discoveries, his wonder, his questions, which often annoy us. Is their work as important as the adult's productive work, which is a social value? Many of us would tend to dismiss their work of creating an adult as just play. Yet it is just as important. Perhaps this is one way in which we, as adults, fail the child by a lack of respect for them as human beings. They depend on us so much that we somehow come to think of them as inferior to ourselves and sometimes unconsciously as our own property. Without thinking, we automatically impose our standards on them and our prejudices. Most seriously, perhaps, we fail to realise their real needs, to understand the different stages of development they must go through to become full human beings. Insofar as the individual in his growth has not been able to live himself out to the full in each successive stage, there will be something lacking in his mental equipment. So, in the case of children deprived of a happy home life, it will be extremely difficult for them to create a happy home, never having experienced one. Montessori said, The fundamental problem in education consists in the establishment of a new and better relationship between the two great sections of society. Adults and children. Could we perhaps draw a comparison here between the treatment of the child by adults and the way in which the wealthy nations of the world treat the developing countries? There is the same economic dependence, very often the same patronising attitude and lack of any effort to really understand the peoples of the developing countries. We automatically impose our standards and values. Many peoples have been deprived of fundamental human rights And in many ways, the child has too. We still tend to see children as miniature adults and think that their real value to society lies all in the future. Yet they have rights to independence, activity, and to explore the world for themselves. They can only learn discipline through doing and concentration through activity. Now, this certainly does not mean that the child must be allowed in all circumstances to do as he likes, to dominate the household and become an egocentric little savage. But it does mean that we must realise their needs, the biggest, perhaps, of which is the gradual learning of self-discipline. In many cases, it means altering our whole idea of authority. These ideas have at last filtered into education, and amongst the results are child art and child drama. When I was at school, we were told to sit down and draw or paint something. Now the whole approach is more imaginative, and the result's startling. And most important of all, through what he does, the child learns to observe and concentrate and discipline himself. Do we really believe, as Montessori did, that the child can help the adult? That we have much to learn from children? Perhaps we cannot rediscover their joy and trust, their sense of wonder and justice, their excitement and simplicity and innocence. But we can try and understand that the child is a personality, capable of doing something we cannot do now. He is capable of doing something great, like a seed. It is only when we realise the wonderful way in which the child creates the man that we realise that we hold in our hands a secret, which can help in the formation of a better humanity. It might be a good idea to end by reading three letters, which were written by children to God. Dear God, Are boys better than girls? I know you are one, but try to be fair. Sylvia Dear, dear God, I think it's terrific the way they got the astronauts to go up around the world. Please, don't let it fall on our house. Your friend, Norman. Dear God, Are you real? Some people do not believe it. If you are, you'd better do something quick. Harriet, Anne.
6: A very happy Christmas to all the children and to all who care for them.